0: If you were with us last week, you remember that we reached first Timothy chapter two in the very beginning of the chapter, verses one and two and there, in that passage, uh, God is using the Apostle Paul to direct our attention to to prayer and the importance of prayer and even prayer as a church and I mentioned to you that I've had a burden, a personal burden on on my heart over the last couple years that you and I together would experience God's best for us in terms of churchwide prayer. Um, Many of you have checked the blog site that I have. You can get to it directly by www.alivetogod.com or you can go through the church website and get there. These next uh, couple weeks, I'm talking to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday about this issue, and I appreciate if you check that out. So we're going to bounce out of First Timothy just for a couple more weeks, and and think about what else the Scripture has to say about churchwide prayer, and and we're going to be in the book of Acts this morning. So turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter four. So on page twelve ninety eight in our bibles here in chapter 3 peter and john overwhelmed with the uh, reality of the resurrection of jesus christ and uh, and then the the giving of the holy spirit then they begin to preach and they're in the temple and they heal a man who was born lame they heal him this lame man had been in the temple for years and years everyone knew him Peter and John, then in the name of Jesus Christ, heal him and then preach. But then, uh, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't, uh, received very well by those people who were in authority. And then we reach chapter four. So chapter four, verse one. And, and in order for us to, to catch the context, about what's taught later about prayer as a church together, we really we really need to hear this whole story. And I've asked Barbara Carney if she would come and read for us. You can follow along in your Bible if you wish. But uh, beginning in Acts chapter 4, verse 1.
1: as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power, or in what name, have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave, leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of our threats, of their threats, and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, what we... What we have here at the end of this passage is a very meaningful church-wide prayer meeting. Amen? And, uh, what I'd like us to see in this passage, I'm gonna look at it this way, is nine steps. There's nine steps to a meaningful church-wide prayer meeting. And, and, um, not that these nine steps always have to be present, um, but they could be present and we can learn, we can learn from them first step in the process. And that is that God puts a crisis in people into his people's lives. Amen. God puts a crisis into his people's lives. Look, look at verse three, chapter four, verse three, it says, and they laid hands on them and put them in jail. So here are the leaders of the church. Who are proclaiming the message of the gospel, and they've been arrested and put in jail. I like I like that phrase. They laid hands on them. It does, somehow, it doesn't seem so bad, you know, when you say it that way. But I don't. I don't. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there were some bruises that resulted from that being had hands being laid on you. But here they've they've laid hands on them, had them arrested. Then look at verse eighteen. After they've had this kind of investigation, not sure what to do with them, it says in verse 18, and then they summoned them. When they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So now there's a crisis. Our, our leaders are, are arrested. Then they're let out, but they're, but they're told, don't, don't preach. You can't talk anymore in the name of Jesus. And then look at verse 21. It says, and when they had threatened them further, they let them go, and so they're threatened. They're arrested, let loose, interrogated, threatened. And now there's a crisis. It's interesting that that um, crises often drive us to prayer. Isn't that true? I suppose it oughtn't be that way. I suppose it would be better if we were as as earnest and focused in prayer when there aren't crises in our lives as when there are. But the fact of the matter is, is that that's often not the case. And God graciously lets crises come into our lives to to, to put our focus and our dependence on him the way it needs to be. Um, Romans 8:28 is still true. It says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? Yeah. Amen. He really is working in the crises. And through the crises that come into our life. Now I'm I'm struggling right now. Because I have this really cool story from Africa. I want to tell. And uh, I don't know if I can. What's that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no time. Uh, but now that I said that. I have to say something. Right. I'm not going to do this justice. But. This past week, a um, good missionary couple, friend of ours from Tanzania came by. They came through the area, and Becky and I uh, took them in for the night. And we were sitting around the table, and we got to telling the story. And we heard pieces of the story that we didn't know before. So I've got to try to give you the Reader's Digest version here. They were working in the tribe or in the in the uh, people group that was next to the Sandawi. So there were the Sandawi people where we were working. There was another unreached tribe to the northeast of them, to them, and they were working there, trying to preach the gospel and plant the church there. Very resistant people, very very uh, staunch in their own in their own beliefs, and they had been met with a lot of resistance and. And uh but they got their little team of people there. And what had happened was there was a a man in that community who was opposed to them, and he wrote an official letter with a lot of lies in it. And he wrote a lies that their their group was actually they weren't missionaries, they were there for business, they were looking for gems and precious metals, and that they were then using our airstrip to fly all of this this illegal uh, stuff out of the country. So now they were tying the two of us together. They had all these lies. Well, we didn't know any of this was going on. Daniel Hunsaker, who you met a couple weeks ago, he and I had just taken this long trip to town to get supplies. We had just come back and we found our wives in tears. The authorities had come. The immigration people had descended on our little village. They had interrogated our wives. They had taken our our wives and children's passports. They took all of our passports and they left. And they said, tell your husbands they, they, they have to see us in the, uh, in the district headquarters by tomorrow. And they left. So here we were. We had no passports. Our son was actually had a medical problem. He was on bed rest. We had to fly him out to get surgery. And now we can't, we can't do that. We're like prisoners. As a matter of fact, it might actually be illegal to do what they did. I'm not sure, but uh, uh, they did it anyway. So there was this crisis. What we didn't know was the same thing was going on next in the other tribe too, but we didn't know this. So we got on the radio and we called the church leader and one of the missions leaders flew out into our airstrip the next morning. Then we got on and we flew out to the district and the uh, immigration officer had by then, they had gotten the other team together, taken all their passports and left. She was trying. It was a woman at that point. She was leaving to get out before we got there, even though she told us we had to get there. And there was this whole string of events where now we're all without passports. We're being uh, interrogated. We're being threatened with with what we're not sure what's going on. You can imagine we were a little bit tense, a little stressed. And you might even imagine there was a little prayer going on, praying, Lord, what is going on here? And I can't give you all the, <clears throat> all of the details, but here I, want, I just want to tell you this, that after a while, we, we got all of the passports back. But here's what happened. In the midst of the interrogation of the other group, they were saying, you know, you're not a church. You're not a church up here. Where's your church building? And our friend says, well, we've petitioned the village to get land, and they've never given us land to build a church. He says, I don't believe you. He says, well, here's the copies of the letters. And he brought out the letters. And remember, this is a very resistant group. And they had had continually forbidden this group from getting any land to have any kind of church or anything like that. So now this this, uh, federal employee, if you want to say, this one with authority looks at it. The next week they got land. The next week they got land. The man who had spread the lies... God just humbled him. He had a little story. He had a business. He went out of business. He went completely broke. He was humbled and mocked in the community because here he it was turned up that he had just lied about everything. They got the land and um, they've built a church and there are people there worshiping today. And get this, they built a, a school for girls. They built a girl's school. And when our friend, this missionary, went to talk to this man now who had spread the lies and caused all the trouble, the man said, you know, I could almost become a Christian. He said, but I'm too old. He says, but my children says you can have you can have my children. And he's sending all of his kids to the Christian school to hear the gospel. Is it true that God works all things together for good? Amen. Amen. God will put crises into our lives. And when he's doing it, we can't always see. Oh, often we can't see. Often we cannot see what God is doing. But we need to believe and and trust him. But then we also need to, as the people in in this story here in Acts chapter 4 did, let, let the crisis drive us to prayer. Well, step number one, though, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's really kind of step number number three. Step number one is God puts a crisis into people's lives. Step number two, then, is his people gather together. His people gather together. Look at verse 23. When they had been released, they went to their own. They went to their own, their own companions, their own people. In other words, they went to their, Christ, their Christian brothers and sisters. It's the most natural thing to do in the world is when there's a burden on your heart or there's a problem in your life is to go to a brother or sister in the Lord and ask them to pray for you. Amen. And yet, as natural as that is, it's just as there's something else inside of us that naturally resists that. Our own sin nature often rises up and we, we don't want to bother other people or we're just too proud to let other people know that we're struggling with this or that. And so as natural and as, as, as good as it is to run to my friends and say, would you pray for me? There's something inside of me that resists it at the same time. But we have to get over that. And we see that Peter and John uh, got over that. They went to their own. What a phrase that is. And that's what we need to do as a people of God is that we need to come to our own. We we come to each other. I hope I hope that you're not trying to carry your burden or your burdens alone. We've mentioned before that there's different avenues or venues in which we pray together. Our small groups, uh, that's a great place where this, they're just small groups. And as you meet together and as the weeks turn to months and the months go into years, you get to know each other better and you feel freer and you trust each other and you, you can share things with them that you wouldn't share with, with other people. And that's that's good and right. And you pray for each other in your small groups. But there's also uh, other avenues like Sunday school class. You meet people that you connect with and you can share your your needs with ladies Bible study, men's groups. We pray for each other. And then, of course, when we all gather together, we don't have to be sharing every little thing Every little problem we have or every, even every big problem we have with everyone because we've got people closer to us that are praying for us about them, those issues. But then the, there's big issues that we pray for as a people. His people, step number two, God's people gather together. The crisis comes, the people gather together. And then step three, God's people Pray you look, you see there again in verse 24, they lifted their voices to God. They lifted their voices to God. They prayed. Daniel Henderson, who um, I've had the privilege of meeting. He uh, is in a ministry that's encouraging and trying to train churches to uh, grow in their prayer life. He has some challenging words. Let me read them to you. He says, Most students of culture cons- conclude that the United States is post-Christian. That bothers us, so we try harder. We have more conferences on church programming, seminars on evangelism, and books on church leadership than any Christian society in history. We enjoy unprecedented affluence, state-of-the-art technology, And the finest in Christian education through an abundance of colleges and seminaries. But where's Jesus? I often explain that we can tell how popular the preacher is by who comes on Sunday mornings. We can tell how popular the church is by how many people are involved in the midweek programs. And we can tell how popular Jesus is by who attends the prayer meetings. So where's Jesus? I'm not against, he says, I'm not against education, technology, evangelism programs, and excellent Sunday worship. I've acquired advanced degrees in my own educational pursuits. My church uses state-of-the-art equipment, enjoys a large and beautiful facility, and implements a truckload of programs. But there is a difference whether we use all these tools or depend on them. The acid test is the prayer level of the church. Churches lacking extraordinary prayer depend on the on the tools, leaving Jesus on the periphery. Praying churches are free to use or discard the tools. Their one concern is to keep Jesus where he belongs, at the center of everything, giving him significant amounts of undivided attention on their knees. Challenging words, but I think for the most part, they're true. The real point is, what are we depending on? And if we're really depending on the Lord, we're praying. We're praying. We, we use the tools, but we don't depend on those tools. It says in verse 24, they lifted their voices to God. We don't have to conjure up crises. <laughs> God will take care of that. Uh, But when they come or if even if they're not there, but we sense this great desire for God to use us, then we gather together and we pray and we pray. We lift our voices to God. Then fourthly, fourth, fourth step in a in a meaningful churchwide prayer meeting. God's people agree in prayer. Do you see that in verse 24 again? It says with one accord. See, it says, when they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord, with one accord. They were in agreement. Their hearts were knit together. They were they were sensing, I believe, a, a movement of the Spirit of God among them, that, that they, they were being led by the Spirit of God, and they were together praying. And they weren't praying against each other. They're praying together, moving in one direction. This kind of praying takes practice. This kind of praying uh, is something that we learn together. I don't know that we've learned it entirely. Do you think we could grow further in this? Of course we can. So let's keep learning. Amen? Let's keep learning. Let's keep learning. Now, let's keep going. Look at verse 24 to 26. We've already read the first half but of 24, but the second half says... And it says, and they said, oh, Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now, in your version, depending on your Bible there, some of your versions have that second half in capitalized, capitalized or quotes. That's a quotation from the Old Testament. So they're quoting scripture. They're using scripture in their praying. And he goes on in verse 25, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father, David, your servant said, and now they're praying scripture again. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. That's Psalm 2. So they're taking this crisis and now they're reaching back in their memory and they're grabbing scripture verses. What God has said in his word that applies to the situation and they're praying this. They're lifting up the scripture before God and they're letting scripture guide their praying and bolster their faith and lead them as they pray. Step five is God's people let scripture shape their praying. That's what we're trying to do in our Fresh Encounter meetings, if you haven't been to one. It's in each meeting we we take scripture and we let the scripture guide us as we pray. A couple times ago we, we actually took a whole book of Colossians. Uh, we went through it fast, but we let it guide. Not every verse of Colossians, but we let it guide the way we prayed. And then the last time we took the book of Ephesians and we, we let it guide us as we prayed. Tonight, I trust you'll come. Tonight, we're going to take those first verses of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to let those verses guide us in our praying. But before that, we're going to take some some uh, passages from the Old Testament that speak of God as king to guide us in our worship and in our adoration and praise, and then, and then arrive in, the, in the 1 Timothy. Come if you haven't come. I don't want you to come to the Fresh Encounter meeting because you feel guilty. That's no good. I want you to come because you want to come. And also, I should say this, too, is that perhaps there's some of you that are saying, well, I, I kind of like to come, but I'm nervous because I might have to pray out loud in front of other people. You don't have to. Just come and pray silently while there's pray out loud. That's all right. Just Just come and be a part of what God is doing. But here as we're, we're going to the Lord and saying, Lord, teach us to pray. One of the, one of the lessons we learn from scripture is, is that when God's people got together to pray, they let scripture guide their praying. And that's what we're going to try to do. We're not going to let a prayer list guide our praying. We have a prayer list that we make up every week and that's good for people to use, but that prayer list isn't going to be our guide. The scripture is going to be our guide. Amen. And we'll let God's Spirit lead us that way. Number five, God's people let scripture shape their praying. Number six, you knew I had to go through this kind of quick when I said there's nine steps, right? It's nine points. Um, I love this one. Number six, God's people get theological. I like this. They get theological. Look at, look at verse 27. They're still praying, it said for truly in this city, they were gathered together against your servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. This is unbelievable. These guys have now hit on one of the, the the greatest mystery in theology, the thing that more theologians fight about than anything else, the most controversial issue in the book, God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Isn't that great? How come you're not smiling? You should be smiling. This is fun, because to them theology. Is all, it, it's about life. It's, it's, it's prayed. They don't, they don't avoid something that's controversial. They're just out there praying it. Look, they're saying, look, there was Herod. That's the, that's the king. Okay. That was the Hebrew king Pontius Pilate. That's the Roman authority. So you've got the, you've got all of the governmental authorities it says along with the Gentiles, the nations and the peoples of Israel, they were all set against the Christ. They had evil intent inside of them. They were deciding, they themselves were deciding to do wrong against Jesus. And then in verse 28, and they did exactly what God predestined they'd do. (laughs) I love it. They're not afraid of this controversy. They just jump right in. And they say, God... There are evil people in this world that do wrong, but you reign over it all. And I don't understand it all. I don't understand all of that. I can't explain every little piece of it, but they're both true. You don't solve the problem by trying to erase one side or the other. You take it all in. And in prayer, in the face of this great crisis, they got a little theological. They say, God, you're sovereign. And those people are evil, (laughs) but you're sovereign and now we're we're before your face oh god answer oh god do something lord you're working you're working you're in control then seventh seventh step now really this is permeates this is actually I had to make it a step somehow, but it really, it permeates the whole thing from front to end, but I made it step seven. God's people get concerned about the furtherance of the gospel. You want to see this? Look at verse 29. When they finally arrive at their request, it says, And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bond servants may speak your word with all confidence. Their great concern, notice they said, and oh, Lord God, make it so that, that um, you know, they stop beating our pastors. I guess if I was a pastor, I'd like that prayer request, but that's not actually what they're praying. And or you, you think of the things they could have been asking. Make it easier on us, Lord. Uh, change their minds. Think of all that they could have asked. But what they were asking was that your word go forth. Amen. That your word go forth. That's what got Peter and uh, and John in trouble anyway, was that they were proclaiming the word. They healed someone. They proclaimed the word. More thousands of people came to Christ. The leaders didn't know what to do. They locked them up, threatened them. The great overriding concern about this whole passage is the word of God keeps moving forward. And that's what we need to be praying, my friend. You know, people are getting saved in the Lehigh Valley, but are you happy? Are you happy with how many are getting saved? Would you Would you like to see more? Would you like to see your friends, your family, the people you work with get saved? Well, let's pray, my friends, and let's pray together. There's power in that. God chooses to use it. They got together and their, their concern was that the gospel keep going forward. It's number seven. Number eight. God's people then place a request before God. Uh, you, you see that in verse uh, 29 and 30. I already read 29, but let me read it again. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. And grant that your bond servants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now they have placed a request before God. They're asking that the gospel go forward and that God acts in ways that people have to sit up and take notice. We can pray the same thing. God, so work. That your word goes out and people have to take note that God is in our midst. And God is doing something. They place the request before God. That's number eight. You know, a prayer meeting can be just, if I can say just, just worship and praise. In our Fresh Encounter meetings, we have Worship and praise. And we begin that way and, and sprinkle praise and thanksgiving through it all. But, but, but that's not enough. There's a reason for us gathering together. And that is where, we, God wants us to actually request things from Him and then see Him answer. Amen? So that's what we're doing. And then the ninth step. You know what that is? God answers. That's number nine. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, The place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't say that Herod and Pilate were changed. It doesn't say that the Sadducees and the chief priests were changed. It doesn't say that uh, that uh, all the authorities were changed. It says that they were changed. Amen. And they were changed. And then they began to speak. Boldly, even more boldly than they had already. And of course, then what happened was God used that and did change people and others were changed too. God answers. God puts a crisis into our lives. His people then gather together. They gather together and they pray. They pray, but they pray in agreement in one accord with one another. They let scripture shape their praying. They're not afraid even to get a little theological when they pray. And they're concerned through it all for the furtherance of the gospel. And then they lay a request before God. And he answers. Now that is a prayer meeting. Amen. You want to be a part of that? Well, let's pray that tonight is one of those. Let's come. Tonight, I, 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 uh, I invite you. Come to the, to the Fresh Encounter meeting tonight. And let's ask God to do this in our midst. Let's pray and uh, ask for God to teach us to pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for what we learn in it and from it. We thank you, Father. And Lord, when we read these, these things from the book of Acts, we know they're not made up. They're true. They're actual accounts. There's much there that we can learn. We want, oh Lord, we want you to save people in the Lehigh Valley and around the world. And we want to be a part of it, Father. We really do. Work in our midst. And one way you can change us and use us more, we sense, is in our praying together that you would be glorified, that it would be clear that it's not our methods that have done anything, it's our God. Work in us, I pray, O Father. Help us to be a praying people. Teach us to pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.